right, you may be seated. I want to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me this morning to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 13. Grateful to the Lord this morning that I've been able to say that because it's been a while. I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach. Life is a vapor and fragile and you never know when this will be the last day on this earth. I just want to say while you're turning to Acts 13, thank you so very much for the way that you've ministered to my family. Uh, in the month of July and August, we're grateful beyond words. Uh, very thankful for this church family. Very thankful for the way that you loved and cared for my wife, especially. Pastor Tom, I love you, man. It's good to see you. Good to see you. Amen to that. By God's grace, I get to preach to you again. I'm not right now. <laughs> I love you, man, a lot. We're going to be looking at verses 13 through 52 this morning. We're not going to cover it all. We started looking at this passage the last time that I preached, and I shared with you then we wouldn't cover it all, and I'm sharing with you again we won't cover it all. And next week, Lord willing, if I'm able to preach, we probably won't cover it all again that week either, but we'll do what the Lord has for us. Amen. I want to continue to talk with you about the commitment we need to have to the gospel. That really is the title of this message. When you look at this passage of scripture in its entirety, in fact, when you look at all of the book of Acts, one of the things that stands out to us so clearly and so brightly, you can't really miss it. It jumps off every page. It comes out of every story, every narrative, every chapter, every verse. Is the people of God's commitment to the word of God and the commitment to the Great Commission. They really were committed to the gospel. And I, and I think it challenges us it causes us to reflect, to look, and to see, and to ask ourselves, are we too committed to the gospel in that way? So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Before we go any further and read any scripture, though, we need the Lord's help. Amen. So let's ask his help. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We sang it this morning in victory in Jesus that you loved us before you knew us or before we knew you, rather. That's a sobering thought for us, God, in such a me-centered culture and a me-centered world, Lord. We really didn't find you. You found us. We can only say that we love you because you loved us first. And Lord, we thank you that you set your love upon us in eternity past, before there was time and this eternal covenant that was cut between yourself, the members of the Trinity, Lord, we don't understand it all, but what we do know is that you, Father, gave Christ a people. And Christ, you chose to redeem that people in spirit. You chose to apply the gospel and your word and your power to sanctify and set apart your people from darkness to light and grow them in grace in Christ. And we are humbled. When we think about that, God, we have nothing whatsoever to offer you at all except for our sinfulness. 
God, help that not just fall off of our backs or roll off of our, roll out of our ears without really thinking about the fact that, Lord, you are holy and you love us with an everlasting love. And so, God, we are, are grateful. Do for us what we need, Lord, more than anything is the illumination of your spirit in this time. Father, we're sitting in a different place. There's water on the ground. It's a little humid. There's all types of things that our heart could whine about, complain about, get distracted about. Even maybe the ants that are on the ground, we're worried about the ant pile that's in front of us that somehow it might get disturbed and bite us on the foot or something. God, help us to put all those things aside. We pray for a focus like we've never had before. And God, I pray specifically for the person that's listening, either through Facebook or that's sitting here today that doesn't know you. God, I pray that the gospel will be like a laser beam straight to their heart and that you'll show them their great need for Christ. That you'll change their hearts, God, through the gospel and your spirit's work. They'll cry out to you in repentance and faith. Everything we've prayed for, Lord, is a work that only you can do. So we love you. We're completely dependent upon you, God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, as we pick back up in the book of Acts this morning, we've began, or we're looking rather again at the initial stages of Paul and Barnabas and early on, even John Mark in this first missionary journey when they were launched from the church of Antioch. And as you know, they began to travel. They first went to the island of Cyprus and they did some ministering there. And then they left Cyprus and they ended up, ended up uh, in Asia Minor. And in particular, where our text is dealing with this morning in Antioch, Pisidia. And one of the things that we've been talking about from Acts 13 is it really didn't take them very long when they launched this missionary journey before they began to suffer trials, tribulation, adversity, hardship, challenges. If you remember, early in chapter 13, after the church at Antioch sent them out, they were opposed by a false teacher named Bar-Jesus. Do you remember him? Bar-Jesus' one job, one goal, was to turn the apostles' teaching around to pervert it, to prevent Sergius Paulus, who was a leading official at that time in that place from coming to faith in Christ. So it was a clear opposition. It was a clear attack on the preaching of the gospel, sharing of the gospel. You can think of it like this. It was a clear attack on the soul of Sergius Paulus. Well, you know how that story ends up. Sergius Paulus has temporary blindness. The gospel goes forth. Excuse me. Bar-Jesus gets blindness. The gospel goes forth. Sergius Paulus comes to faith in Christ. And this young missionary team moves forward. They move forward. They find themselves in Antioch, Pisidia, when they face another challenge. And the challenge that they face is the fact that they had brought this young man in the faith along with them for the purpose of raising him up in the Lord, to disciple him, to pour into him, to give him opportunity to serve to watch him grow, to watch him blossom, to watch him reach his potential in Christ. And this young man's name was John Mark. And if you remember, John Mark decided he didn't want to be a part of the team anymore. 
And we talked at length about spiritual desertion, that there were different forms of spiritual desertion, that there are times where people leave physically. They just literally leave. They desert. And then there's an emotional desertion, and then there's also a, there's also a spiritual desertion that can happen. So sometimes people are still present, but they're not really present. Sometimes people are there, but they're not really there. Sometimes people are apart, but they're not really apart. They have deserted in various differing ways. Maybe they don't like the way this is going, or maybe they don't like the way that is going. Or they don't like this decision that's made or that decision that's made. And it happens in the home as well. There can be times where spouses are there, but not there. There can be times when kids are there, but they're not there. And no one's pulling in the same direction. It just seems like chaos is reigning in the home. All these different challenges that we face when it comes to taking the gospel and advancing the kingdom. It's hard. It's difficult. Amen? Every one of you have faced something this past week that you were not expecting to face that you, when you were sitting here last Sunday morning on the Lord's Day. That's the way life works. That's the way life unfolds. That's God's good providence to us. It's just good providence to us. So I want to pick back up where we left off, and I want to talk to you about their commitment to the gospel. And we'll look at two ways today, and we'll look at a third way next week. So what we'll do is we'll just kind of begin reading in the text, and I'll stop where I want to stop. We're not going to read it in its entirety because of the length. But I will stop where we need to stop and then make a couple of observations to you. So look with me at verse 13. The Bible says, Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went on from Perga. And came to Antioch in Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. After reading the law, after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. So we're going to park right there. I want you to look with me again at the end of verse 13 and the beginning of verse 4. Because the first truth that I want to talk to you about is this. If we, if you, if your family is going to be committed to the gospel, that commitment needs to look like persevering in God's call and placement for your life. You have to persevere in God's call and God's placement on your life. You have to persevere in God's call and in God's placement on your life. And we have a saying, right? God makes no mistakes. God doesn't make any mistakes. From our perspective, sometimes it might feel that way. Sometimes it may not feel right. Sometimes it may not, we may not understand. But at the end of the day, God is guiding and God is governing all things providentially to accomplish his redemptive plan. That's the doctrine of providence. 
And so when it comes to the call on your life and the placement on your life and what God has for you and what God has for our church and the call that God has on our church to missions and to the advancement of the kingdom and the advancement of the gospel and to the planting of churches and all of those types of things, our call is to persevere in the midst of adversity, in the midst of challenges, in the, in the midst of struggles. We've talked about this already today. We talked about it last time, but let's think about this again. When John Mark leaves them, when he deserts them, he's leaving his spiritually, spiritual family. But remember, Barnabas was also his what? His physical family. So he was leaving his spiritual family. He was leaving his physical family. And he was deserting. Now, we don't know the reason why. But as I thought about this, I thought about the fact that Paul and Barnabas, at this moment in time, they would have had a choice to make. They would have had a decision to make. They would have had to have thought about what they're going to do. Would they chase John Mark? Would they go after John Mark? Would they try to talk John Mark into doing whatever they needed him to do or whatever he needed to do to make the mission accomplished? What would they do? How would they respond? And when you look at the text and you look at verse four, notice what it says. But they did what? But they went on. They pressed on. They persevered in the calling and the placement that God had for their life. They trusted the Lord's providence and they trusted the Lord's guidance. If there was anything that we need to hear continually as brothers and sisters in Christ, as believers in Christ, as followers in Christ, it's that. To trust God's providence and to trust God's leading and to trust God's guidance. To trust God's providence, to trust God's leading to trust God's guidance. In every season. That's the rub, isn't it? If you were to look at the root issue of complaining and whining and being discontent. Typically, when you think about it, you unpack it. It's connected somehow to us not trusting God's leading to us not trusting God's guiding to us not trusting God's providence. And if we press that just a little bit farther, you know what that also means we're doing? We're doubting God's goodness. You have to understand when you come to the end of verse 13 and the beginning of verse 14, that was not the way that Barnabas and Saul had this planned out. This was not what they had set out for their mission team to look like. They wanted their team to look like Barnabas. They wanted their team to look like Saul. They wanted their team to look like John Mark. But for whatever reason, in the mystery of God, in the counsel of God, in the character of God, in the wisdom of God, we don't know the reason, but for whatever the reason, there was a shakeup in the mission team. By the way, if you fast forward a couple of chapters, do you know who Barnabas and Paul meet later? Another young man by the name of Timothy, and they bring him onto the team. Isn't that interesting? I mean, you could look at John Mark deserting and be like, oh, this is the worst thing ever. The sky is falling. Oh, no. Or you can just trust God's providence. 
trust God's guidance, trust God's leading. Brothers and sisters, God ain't going nowhere. He is eternal. He has always been. And your circumstance and my circumstance or whatever it is that we're going through, two months on a ventilator, none of that catches God by surprise. He is sovereign over all. And we can trust his guiding. We can trust his governing. We can trust his providence. Amen. Look with me at Proverbs chapter 3. You already know where I'm going. Verses 5 and 6. You may not even necessarily need to turn there. If you're new to the faith and you're young in the faith or you're not, you've, maybe you're older in the faith, but you've never tried to memorize scripture before, this is a good place to start. Look at verse five, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your straight, excuse me, he will make straight your paths. Now I want you to look at the second half of verse five because we have to be honest. If we had a John Mark moment, if you were Paul, if you were Barnabas and somebody deserted you physically, emotionally, or spiritually, or all three, if somebody deserted you, your first temptation is to lean on what? Your own understanding. Why, Lord? Why did this happen? Lord, if, if, if you love me, then this, this would not have happened this way. It wouldn't have gone this way. It wouldn't have been this hard. Whatever else that we tend to say. But there's a clear command in Scripture. Do not lean on your own understanding. Let me ask you a question. Is there anyone here this morning that's infinitely wise? Is there anyone here this morning that knows all things? Is there anyone here that's been here from eternity past and will be here forever? No, there's only one eternal God. not you it's not me and if we're wise we will not lean on our own understanding when we come up to moments like john mark when he deserts we'll just trust god we'll be faithful to our calling we'll be faithful to our placements where god has put us brothers can i tell you something be faithful to your wife what's the calling and placement on your life be a godly husband. Don't leave. Every one of you guys should say it. Amen. Be faithful to your wife. Brothers, lead your family in devotions. Open the Bible and read to them. Pray for them. Pray with them. Plead for their salvation. Be faithful in your placement and your calling. You say, well, I'm not Paul and I'm not Barnabas and I don't live on Cyprus and I don't live in Antioch, Pisidia. That was 2,000 years ago. No, but you live now. Be faithful where God has you now. Students, do you know what that means for school? You glorify God by doing the very best that you can as a student. It does not honor God to be a slacker. Brothers and sisters, when you go to work tomorrow, do you know what that means? You're faithful in your calling and your placement. An honest day's work for an honest day's wage. You say, well, you don't know my boss. He's not honest. doesn't matter. 
I know God and he'll look after you. Be faithful. Brother Eric, I thought of Carlos and Lily. I was looking this morning on social media and I don't know Spanish very well. I know enough to be dangerous, Israel. Don't laugh. That wasn't funny, Israel. I think she asked for prayer for planning of a church in Puerto Rico. Is that right? I don't know how I got that right, but I got it right. And I thought about them, man. Brother Eric, you'll remember. Pastor Tom, you'll remember those meetings a long time ago, 14, 15 years ago now. You know what Carlos and Lily have been doing that long and even longer than we've known them? Being committed to the gospel, faithful to their calling, and faithful to their placement in the world. You know where Carlos started being faithful? When he became a Christian. And someone challenged him like I'm challenging you to be faithful in your calling and your placement. You know where he first started ministering the gospel? First of all, he was a faithful church member. Second of all, he went to the jails. He just wanted to preach the gospel. So he started preaching the gospel in jail to anyone who would listen. And you know, I'm going to say this preacher joke. He had a captive audience. Sorry. I had to say that, Pastor Tom. I knew that you were going to think that. When we met him, he, he was being faithful in the Dominican Republic. He thought that he was going to work among the Dominicans, but God and his good providence had another plan. Instead of whining, instead of moaning, instead of saying, why me, Carlos embraces this plan. And little did he know that he would plant almost 80 or 90 different churches. Amen. Among the Haitians, not the Dominicans. God surprised him with his providence. He leaves the Dominican Republic and you know that he goes to Mexico City. He goes to Mexico City and what does he do there? He's faithful to his calling and his placement. And he preaches the gospel and he plants churches. He leaves Mexico City because of COVID and he goes to Kentucky. Do you know what he does in Kentucky? He's faithful to the gospel and he works with church planting and he makes disciples. And he also finished a degree at school. Pretty awesome. You never stop learning. So he's faithful in the United States. You know where he's at right now? Puerto Rico. Is there any coincidence that there would be a, 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 a prayer request, Israel, on social media where his wife is asking for prayer for the planting of churches in the Dominican Republic? I mean, uh, in Puerto Rico? No. Because he's the same guy. Has his location changed? Yes. Has his placement changed? Has the call on his life changed? No. But wherever God has placed him, he has been faithful. And so when you look at verse 4, and John Mark leaves them, things change, but also things stay the same. The gospel matters, and people matter, and placement matters, and the call matters, and they are willing to take the gospel to those who need to hear it. And that's what they do. That's what they do. So I want to challenge you to think about it. Brothers, are you faithful to lead your wives? Are you faithful to lead your families? Brothers, if you are thinking or you had a thought in your mind this week, I'm out of here. I can't do this anymore. I can't stay with this in this family anymore. Don't do it. Stay. Get help. There's help available. There's help from God. There's help from your pastors. There's help from another brother. But you cannot leave. 
Stick it out. God will see you through it. Be faithful. Now, I want to turn your attention to the next thing, which is they were committed to God's missionary strategy. They were committed to God's missionary strategy. Look with me at the text. So they leave in verse 4. They continue on. They go to Perga. Then they come to Antioch, Pisidia. Now notice what they do on the Sabbath. Where do they go? The text tells us that they go to the synagogue. They sit down. And then there's a reading from the law. And there's a reading from the prophets. In other words, someone opened the Bible and read it. And then look what they ask. To Paul and Barnabas, do you have a word of encouragement for the people? Paul is ever ready to preach. I bet if we ask Pastor Tom, won't you come up and preach? Stacy might say, no, he doesn't have enough strength. But Tom will say, yes, bring the mic over here. <laughs> Always ready. So he stood up. He's ready. He motions with his hand. Here's what I want you to focus in on, though. Look at what he does. There's a reason why he addresses the audience that he addresses. Don't read over the text so fast. Notice what it says. He had actually addresses two different groups of people. Notice, men of Israel and who? You who fear God. There are two distinct people groups that are in this synagogue hearing the word of God read that he's about to preach the gospel to. Who are they? Jew and Gentile. God-fearers like Cornelius. God-fearers like you'll read about later in Acts 16 with Lydia, who comes to faith in Christ in Philippi, and a church is planted in her home. It's pretty awesome. You say, well, big deal, so what? Like, maybe he's just trying to get their attention. You know, like a good speaker. You, you say something funny, or you, you do something to get their attention. No. He's being biblical. He's being biblical. He is making a distinction between two different types of people because this is God's missionary strategy. He says, men of Israel and you who fear God. Look with me at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Pastor Jim's preached on this. Look at what Paul says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the who? To the Jew first and also to the, to the Greek, to the Gentiles, to those who are not Jew. I want you to hear me carefully. What Paul does, what Barnabas does is they follow God's mission strategy to take the gospel to the nations. God had already determined what they were supposed to do. He had already laid it out in scripture. He had already told them how they were supposed to go about this. Did they understand everything? No, but what they did know was clear as evidenced by who they address in the synagogue. Those who are Jews, listen to me. Those who are Gentiles, listen to me. In other words, everyone listen to me, but he makes that distinction on purpose. The gospel was to go to the Jew first. The gospel was to go to the Gentile second. 
then those that came to faith in Christ, they were to gather and start a church. That's what they were to do. And if you look at the book of Acts, that's exactly what this mission strategy looks like. To the Jew first, to the Gentile second. You say, well, wait a minute. Did that just start in Romans 1.16? Did that just start with Paul and Barnabas? Did they, did they just sit down with the elders in the, in the church at Antioch and, and they just said, hey, let's think of a good way that we can win people and influence people, right? Okay, let's think of that. Let's think of a, of, a, of a strategy where we can just attract people. No. What I want to submit to you this morning is there strategy of going to the Jew first into the to the Gentile second is biblical it's God's strategy let me show you a couple of places go with me first of all of Genesis 9 we've looked at this before go to Genesis 9 I'm gonna go quick Genesis 9. I want you to look with me at verse 26. There's a lot going on in the passage. I don't have time to talk about at this moment in time. You can read it later or talk to me later. Verse 26, Genesis 9, 26. He also said, blessed be the Lord, the God of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. May God enlarge Japheth. And let him dwell in the tents of Shem. And let Canaan be his servant. What was the line that was chosen from Noah's son that the seed of promise would come through? Was it Canaan? No, that line was cursed. Was it Japheth? No, that line would be blessed in the line that was chosen. What's the line that was chosen? Shem. To the Jew first... Shem, Japheth represents the nations. Japheth rep represents the Gentile believers that would come to faith in Christ, that they would be blessed in the tents of Shem. Now go with me to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. The Abrahamic covenant lays this out as well. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. Now listen to this. And in you, what? All the what? The families of the earth will be blessed. What's God saying? The seed would come through Shem. The seed would come through Abraham. And it would be through Abraham's line that Abraham's descendants would be blessed. And who else? What does it say in the text? Verse 3. All the what? Families of the earth. What is that talking about? That's talking about Jew and all the Gentiles that would come to faith in Jesus Christ. The Jews that would believe and the Gentiles that would believe. That's the gospel. The gospel mission strategy is to go to the Jew first and then the Gentile. Just in case you don't believe me yet, 
Let's go to Isaiah. Isaiah 42. Isaiah 42. This is a, a rich passage of scripture. These couple of chapters that deal with the suffering servant. They're called the servant songs. The suffering servant is who? This is time for a Sunday school answer, right? Jesus. Jesus is the suffering servant. That means every one of these servant songs are about Jesus. Look with me at Isaiah 42, verses 6 and 7. It's talking about Christ. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. Oh, you should underline this. I will give you as a covenant for the people. A light for who? The nations. Was the gospel ever meant to stay just in Israel? No. It wasn't. It wasn't. It never was. Even before this was written, it wasn't. Go with me to chapter 49. Go with me to chapter 49. Chapter 49, look at verses 6 and 7. This is so awesome. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Israel. Who's that talking about? The Jews. And to bring back the preserved of Israel. Now listen. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you should say, amen, hallelujah, praise the Lord, praise God, I'm not dead anymore, praise God. He's called me to himself because the light has come. Praise God. And if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, you should say, praise God, hallelujah, Christ came to be a light to someone like me. And if I turn from my sin and I place my faith and I place my trust in Jesus Christ, the Bible says he will save me. This is an awesome passage of scripture talking about how the gospel is for both Jew and Gentile. If this wasn't here, guys, we would have no hope. It's awesome. This is awesome. Go back to chapter 13 of Acts. Because you may be wondering, well, man, you're straining at a gnat. Like, seriously? You might be trying to take some of this out of context, Pastor Doug. I, I, I think you're just trying to take scriptures and, and make it kind of fit what you're wanting to say. Go back to Acts 13. We'll look at this more next week. Look at verse 46. Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge for yourselves. He's talking to the Jews. Unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the who? The Gentiles. For so the Lord 
has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. That is awesome. You say, well, big deal, so what? Here's the big deal, so what? Here's the big deal, so what? Go to verse 38. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, talking about Christ, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. The big deal, so what, is forgiveness in Christ and not being guilty anymore under the wrath of God. And because the apostles looked at the scriptures, they knew the scriptures and they applied the scriptures to their missionary strategy, the gospel came in Antioch, Pisidia, to both Jew and Gentile. And if you were to look at Paul and Barnabas' three missionary journeys and you watch how it all unfolds in the rest of the book, you know what you're going to see? The gospel to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. The gospel to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. The gospel to the Jew first, and then to the Gentile. This is why Paul would say in the back half of the book of Romans, those of you that have been grafted in, i.e. Gentile believers, don't think you're more important than the Jews. Be careful. Understand, we all come to the table of God's grace the same with absolutely nothing to offer. We have nothing to offer God whatsoever, but our brokenness, our helplessness, our hopelessness, our sin, our misery, our guilt before a holy and righteous God. But there's good news. There's forgiveness in Christ. And you can be set free from the guilt that you're under. As I thought about this, Eric, hey, Jim's not here. I pray, man, that for as long as Everglades exists, they'll be like Paul and Barnabas. And they'll just say, to the law and to the testimony, what does the scripture say? And whatever the scripture say, says will be our guide and will be our rule. And whatever the scripture forbids, we will not do, we will not go, and we will not use our own creativity to try to outsmart God. God is clear. It's through the preaching of the gospel that sinners are saved. It's through the application of the gospel to the sinner's heart by the Holy Spirit that people are brought from death to life. And the first cry of regeneration is repentance and faith. That's the message we believe. That's the message we proclaim. And we are to take the gospel to the nations, to Okeechobee and the surrounding world. Not trying to outsmart people, not trying to outsmart God. Just sharing the gospel. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this passage of scripture. It's so rich, it's so full. There's so much here. We're grateful. Grateful that we could study it. Grateful that we have it to read. We pray, God, that you impress it down deep in our hearts and that it will bear fruit that will remain. Father God, just help us to apply the word. It's that simple. 
Help us to apply the word and forgive us, God, myself included, for the, the countless times where we're negligent or careless or ignorant or rebellious even by not applying your word to our lives. God, it's so clear. The secret things belong to you, but the things that you've given us, your word, they're for us and for our children. God, may we walk in those. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to stand to your feet as we close with a song.